that was kind of wrong in the last year because the Vikings weren't a bad team last year. They were just like historically bad in the last two minutes before half and last two minutes of the game. And like a lot of that, I think, fell on Zimmer's like Quasi and Femenza this year. He goes, he's like, all right, we'll deep up our pass rush, go get Darius Smith to help Daniel Hunter kind of work his way back from, you know, being injured and not like as good as he used to be uh, before his injury. And he's like, we'll go out, we'll get Patrick Peterson. Um, and then we'll, we'll hire an offensive minded head coach to kind of help there. And then mid-season, like, the offense still ranks 12th in EPA per play. So we can go out and we can get TJ Hawkinson. And by getting Hawkinson to get, like, the intermediate area of the field, this allows Kirk Cousins to just throw up 50-50 balls to Justin Jefferson, you know, throw up 10 of them on Sunday against the Bills. And, like, that really helped kind of, like, I think, like, increase, like, the explosiveness for the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, like, there's just such an edge. You even look at, like, this is silly, but you look at Jeff Saturday's first game as a head coach, and, like, I calculated it was something like he he used, like, 1.6 fewer timeouts than the average coach in the first half and second half after you take away, like, two-minute and four-minute of second half. And it's just, like, having that those extra timeouts and, like, having just, like, more – you just have more tools in the tool shed, and it almost takes, like, no talent as a coach to do that, but – it, it feels like the Vikings left so much of that on the on the field last year with 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 Zimmer, who is a good defensive mind in my opinion, and you know O'Connell, who I don't think anybody's like you know mistaking for Sean McVay in terms of play for play. I think O'Connell's done like a pretty decent job of preserving timeouts and going for the right fourth downs and and all of that stuff. And it's amazing when you're a team that you know eight of their nine losses last year were by one score. Uh, when you add a little bit of luck and you kind of make a little bit of your own luck by having some more tools at the end of the games, at the end of halves, how much difference that can make. Yeah. Eric, I'm curious, like, you know, the Cowboys stunt the most of any team in the NFL. You can use their raw stunt percentage or stunt rate over expected. Are you concerned for the Vikings interior offensive line? I know you kind of listed them off, but when the Cowboys, you know, run their stunts on expected pass situations, are you are you nervous for the Vikings offensive line and how much of a detriment do you think that's going to be for the Vikings in this game? Yeah, it's not only that, but you're, you're right. It's not only that, but also Quinn, you know, the reason the Rams won the Super Bowl, well, one of the reasons the Rams won the Super Bowl last year was not only did they, they do a lot of stunting and stuff, they, they rotated their coverages more than any team in the league, even more than your Chargers who took Brandon Staley from the Rams. And Dallas, at least early in the year when I had access to the PFF database, uh, we're doing more than anybody... <laughs> Uh, else in the uh, in the league and I think you know that you're just like just like with offense like when you do things like play action do things like motion you put teams you put teams in a bind a little bit and you kind of like you know increase your ability to sort of fool teams and on defense that's what it's all about it's really hard to play for play be a team that can stop you know hold the team to three yards or less or four yards or less every play what you need to do is every every once in a while get a three yards loss on first and 10 and put yourself in the bookmakers position as opposed to the betters position when you're a defense and when you when you stunt and when you when you, when you rotate coverages and stuff you just give yourself a chance and I think against a, t- a quarterback like Kirk Cousins who I, I'd have to look at the data but I do believe he like most quarterbacks his efficiency goes down when you when you when you rotate coverages and then uh, with an offensive line who has a rookie at right guard and, and two kind of four players at left guard and, and center like I think those are going to work to the to the Cowboys' advantage, you add to that, of course, like how good Parsons is and how good Lawrence is. Like it's just going to be a, a tough road to hoe for the, the the Vikings' offense. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, for sure. And you know, I think that's like the Cowboys' path 
scoring this game is taking advantage of those guards by stunting. And then, like, Kirk Cousins this year is uh, the third worst quarterback in the league against the Blitz, you know, only ahead of Russell Wilson and Mac Jones. So, you know, not really company you want to be with. Um, so I, I, I do see, like, the, the Cowboys. You know, Dan Quinn, I think, is uh, one of the best defensive coordinators, if not the best, in all of football right now. And I think, like, he could have a pretty good game plan ready to stop this Vikings offense. Like, Jefferson's going to eat, basically, no matter what you do, unless you want to go, like, full Aaron Glenn, uh, where you, like, just straight up, like, double him on, like, 60% of plays and let everyone else kind of go crazy. But other than that, like, I think Jefferson, you're going to have to accept Jefferson's going to go for you know, around 100 yards on you and kind of do everything else you can to make things uncomfortable for, for Kirk if you're if you're on the on the Cowboys defensive uh, staff there. Yeah, and good on Adapalmensa for going out and getting Hodkinson because it's like it's very clear that Adam Thielen's kind of washed and mm-hmm. KJ Osborne's yeah. not what he used to be. So they at least need a second uh, left hand on that offense to, to do some things when you take away Jefferson. But uh, and, and you know last year when they played, you know Dan Quinn was the defensive coordinator for for the Cowboys. They held Jefferson to a pretty modest game, uh, probably you know, one of his worst of the season in that Sunday night game that Cooper Rush uh, ended up winning as the quarterback. So. Uh, there's a chance there, of course, and I think obviously if they hold Jefferson down, it's going to be very hard for them to lose. Um, but even as you said, like even if Jefferson has a big game, um, you know, it, it, it's still hard to win as an offense through just one player. Yeah. 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 Uh, Eric, we, we obviously really appreciate your time. Uh, we want to move on to some other guests, but before you leave, is there any uh, specific bet you know, you're willing to give out or uh, to, the, to the good people? So there, are Ben Ben Brown, who I, who's listening in, we were, we put in our our super contest picks or our circuit contest picks. There's a couple of like three point or three three point underdogs that I think all warrant a bet this week. Uh, Las Vegas, off of a off of a terrible loss, I think you buy low buy low there. Uh, Taser's Detroit Lions uh, against Daniel Jones's Giants and uh, the Chicago Bears, who by no means should be underdogs to the Falcons. Uh, it, it, at the, at the uh, I, I thought I, I was going to call it the Jordan film, but those are three games that I think uh, I, I like. Awesome. Yeah. There we go. Thanks, Eric. All right, guys. It, yep. All right. Thanks, Eric. Yep. All right. So now we'll have uh, Hassan Patel join us um, on our Twitter spaces. If you guys want to uh, request to speak to us like Eric did and Hassan's doing now, you can just hit the request button and we'll bring you in. But Hassan, buddy, how are we doing? I'm good, man. But how about Tua, Tua, <laughs> Tua? I was yeah. I was gonna ask if you wanted to talk about the Dolphins, but they don't have a game this week. So I guess I mean we could talk about Tua. But is there any specific game on this schedule that, or on this week schedule that you want to talk about, or or is this a just a Tua conversation? <laughs> I think we can make this a Tua conversation, a, a, a general conversation just about the AFC East as a whole. I know, Arjun, you, you put out a tweet between the uh, really, really bad quarterback battle we're going to see between the Jets and the Patriots. Obviously, both defenses have been doing really, really well and rushing the passer really, really well. I mean, Zach Wilson can't really contain himself in the pocket, can't make those throws, can't step up. Uh, you know, he's the worst in the league at that. And then Mac Jones is, I believe, either second worst or third worst. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, second second worst passing grade under pressure this year. So what do you guys think? I mean, the Patriots defense is number one in EPA 
per drop back, and they've been a top defense. Do you see them, you know, closing this? You know, do you see them winning this in a close game, or will this be a blowout in y'all's opinion? I I think it'll be I think it'll be close because like Mac Jones just doesn't give you kind of like the offensive explosion that you can to like really blow teams out. So like the Patriots are gonna really like grind out these games. But, like I do like lean Patriots in this game because like. It's a really bad matchup for the Jets' offense, right? Like, Zach Wilson is the worst quarterback in the uh, in EPA per play against man coverage, and the Patriots play the second most man coverage in the league. And, like, you know, one of the really interesting things about Belichick is, like, he increases his man coverage rate as the season goes on. And, like, usually, like, he'll, like, throw out a bunch of man coverage in the playoffs because, like, that's when he feels, like, really confident about his corners and stuff. And, like, this is a big game, right? Like, this is, like, Patriots, you know, season on the line here. I think we could, like, really see him, like, tick up the amount of man coverage he throws out and, and try to put, you know, Zach Wilson under pressure with, with some five-man rushes. You know, Matthew Judon, I think, should be the defensive player of the year conversation. And, you know, I think he could, he could like, make Zach Wilson's day, you know, pretty pretty long there. What do you, what do you think about that? I think myself, I, I you know, I, I see this as, I think the Jets may close this, uh, you know, make this a close game and actually win this. I mean, the Jets, besides, you know, their quarterback situation, they're a pretty decent team. And, you know, it, it, it really pains me to say this as, as a Dolphins fan. I mean, the, the Jets are underdogs this year. And I, I think they'll squeak out the win. I mean, the, the defense overall is playing much, much better. You know, they have pass catchers and stuff like that. And their run game works, especially, um, you know, with the offensive line that they've been playing. And, you, you know, you said Zach Wilson is the worst quarterback in EPA per play and EPA per dropback. But how about the best quarterback in EPA per dropback to Iloa? <laughs> Arjun, how do, you, how do you feel about that, man? Yeah, I mean, like, I, we've gone back and forth with this all, all week on Twitter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think at this point, I mean, I, I can't really I – I just can't say too much bad. I mean, I, I never – really thought he was like awful but i just can't say that he's bad at this point um i do i'm, I'm not going to go as far to like proclaim him as a top eight guy a top six guy i think just just because it's only been seven starts seven and a half starts i do want to wait until the end of the season to see how he kind of fares against you know good competition good defenses not to say that he has like i think the impressive thing he's obviously dominated really bad competition and his uh playmaking uh, his uh supporting cast allows him to do that but i'm not gonna go as far to kind of like hang the banner after after seven and a half starts and i i do want to see him and see if his efficiency can hold up throughout the course of the year that's not me saying he's bad but i do think like it quarterbacks like him like will eventually regress towards the mean as the season goes on and as defenses have more tape on on that offense in general i hope that kind of like makes sense makes sense because you're hedging your it, it, it does make a lot of sense because because you're hedging your you know your bet right here right there but our uh tedge two is playing amazing but like do you think it'll last yeah so i was gonna bring this up i think at this point i'm more confident in the miami dolphins offense than i have the buffalo bills offense which i think i'm crazy for saying like i'm gonna put it out there anyways because like the just like having you know the ability to have tyree kill jalen waddle where they don't let defenses play man coverage against them, like the you know the Dolphins are going to have the lowest rate of man coverage face against the league. When you tell Mike McDaniel, all right, you're going to see zone like 85% of the time, like go, you know go crazy with it. It's like he, Mike McDaniel is such a good 
play caller that when he knows he's going to see zone basically all the time, he can really take advantage of it. And, you know, like, I think, like, the play actions out of um, 12 and 21 personnel, you know, when they get Alec Ingold on the field, like, I think, you know, he's done a really good job this year with that. So I do think for this season, the the productivity that we're seeing from the Dolphins offense maybe won't stay, you know, where, like, Tua's, like, number one in EPA per play where he is right now. But, like, he should finish the season top five in EPA per play, which gives you a really good chance, I think, going into the playoffs. Like, I know the AFC is stacked, but I, I still think that the Dolphins can compete uh, for the, the AFC championship. Now, are you guys a little bit surprised that this offense looks completely different compared to the San Francisco 49ers? I mean, personally, no. I think the Niners' offense is obviously a little bit more built on yak and just getting the ball in space. But and it doesn't really seem like the Niners can attack the deep part of the field as well as the, the Dolphins can for obvious reasons. Um, I, I do have a question for you, Hassan. Like, this was something that me and Tej talked about about the Bengals over the offseason and something that's came to light. Like, when Joe Burrow doesn't have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, he has like a significant enough drop-off. He goes from, like, 0.23 EPA per play to, like, 0.04. Um, and, you know, he actually did struggle against the Steelers in week one when T. Higgins left and struggled against the Browns on um, Monday Night Football. If one of Tyreek or Waddle leaves the game or goes down, do you see a significant enough drop-off in the Dolphins' not only drop-back efficiency, but, like, off offensive efficiency? Because that kind of changes the way that defenses have to play the Dolphins. So this is actually a pretty interesting question, and I'm glad, you know, you and Tetch talked about it, and Arjun, you brought it up. There have been instances where Waddle has been off the field. There also has been instances where Tyreek has been off the field because they've gotten injured uh, during the game, and there has been many instances where Waddle and Tyreek are both off the field. Now, when they're both off the field, Mike McDaniel realized that, you know, um, you know, defenses, defenses pretty much know um, what they're going to run. And Tyreek was actually out for an entire uh, quarter, the entire third quarter um, up against the Baltimore Ravens. And as you know, you know, uh, the Dolphins offense was getting their way. They were getting going in the third quarter and, you know, to the historic fourth quarter performance by him with both Waddle and Tyreek on the field. I believe I was, I was reading something and I was researching, I think during week seven or week eight, I think the EPA per play when one of Waddle or Hill is out drops down by 0.1 points, which isn't that big of a drop-off. But I, I do think, you know, this offense is primarily based off of Waddle and Hill. But, you know, now we have an actual running game with Jeff Wilson and Raheem Monster. You know, you have the 49ers uh, duel from uh, last season and two seasons ago. And... We saw it up against the Cleveland Browns that the offense was really balanced and nobody could stop that. But when I'm looking at the routes that Trent Sherfield is running, that uh, Mike Gusecki is running, like the just the gravitational pull of having either one of Tyreek or one of Waddle stresses the safety so much out that defensive backs' hips are opening up and they are fearing for their life that they don't want to get beat deep. And that's where... You know, to with high ADOT comes in. That's why he's the number one passer in, in, in intermediate throws. You know, the linebackers are stretched uh, horizontally while, while uh, you know, the defensive backs are stretched out vertically. 
you know, Mike Kosecki is making plays. Trent Sherfield is making plays. River Craycraft is making plays. Alec Ingold was the number one rated uh, PFF player, uh, I believe, um, last week as well, just because he was catching the ball in the middle of the field and in the flats. And, I mean, that's where Tyreek and Waddle, you know, that's what they're doing. They're catching balls in the middle of the field. And that was one of Tua's, you know, uh, weaklings within the last two seasons that he couldn't get the ball in the middle of the field. And now he's throwing it all over the middle of the field. Um, I, I just think that, you know, without having one of those guys, the offense still doesn't change that much. Yeah, no, that, that was a, that was a great answer. Um, and yeah, totally appreciate that answer. And again, it's going to be interesting to see how the Dolphins kind of play out the rest of the season. Um, you know, they're, they're not going to get to face uh, the worst defenses every week, but I, I do feel a little bit confident at this point in not only uh, Mike McDaniel, but uh, Tua and uh, Tyreek and Waddle that they'll probably be able to get the job done. And then once you hit the playoffs, that's obviously a different an- different animal that, you know, it's going to be hard to kind of predict what's going to happen. But, but yeah, Hassan, buddy, really appreciate you coming on. Um, before you leave, is there any bet you'd want to give off to, uh, to the kind folk? Um, I'm not really a betting type of person, but like, you know, what's, what do you think is, is y'all's locks for a college football tomorrow? <laughs> uh, for, for legal purposes, I don't, I don't think we're going to be allowed to say anything, <laughs> uh, regarding that. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, Hassam, really appreciate you coming on. Um, and you know, we'll move on to our next guest who doesn't have a, doesn't have like an official Twitter handle, but he goes by or he or she goes by Cook Chef CD. Uh, if you want to unmute your mic and yeah, say hello, uh, say what's it's, up. It's me. Uh, since Eric is listening, it's me, CD. Please touchdown. That's actually what it stands for. Um. Um. Yeah. So how how are you doing? Is there is there any game you wanted to, to yeah, talk about? Yeah. Um. One first like first is like a kind of a general question, kind of like um, I like I already have like like my own like preconceived notion on the answer, but I want to hear from someone else. Um. So I, the first question I have is, what do you think has caused like the biggest like the big regression in the Cowboys? Uh, defense over the last few weeks um the, i think one of the major notions i had other than i think the run defense is that micah parsons has been playing injured and that's that shows but i'd like to hear what you guys have to say about that yeah i think yeah i think this is a, this is a good question and i i do think parsons playing um injured you know if that bears out to be true which it does kind of seem like it is kind of like a factor in that but like the thing about the Cowboys defense is when you when you play kind of like an aggressive style like Dan Quinn like to play you know we saw like a lot of the cover one stuff last year getting away from his cover three roots and going more for for you know coverages where corners are lined up in more man coverage than having zone boundaries you lead yourself to kind of like a kind of a roller coaster of performances and you know when you're facing wide receivers where your corners can really take them away when the pass rush is getting home, this is where you'll get really high-end performances where you completely shut down the other offense instead of more of like a too-high defense where when a too-high defense plays well, the offense can still like move the ball on them to an extent, but they won't get like completely shut out, but they also might not have like the ceiling. When the Cowboys defense kind of plays, like they can let up like a lot of these 
big games like they were letting up the the um, deep passes to Christian Watson last week. I think because you're getting into a lot of those cover one looks where it relies on like your man your man coverage quarters winning their their uh, assignments. And so I think that's like where the regression comes and it, it, like it definitely can bounce back. Like I don't think this is something that will carry out the entire season for them. It's just like kind of like how the variance of you know defensive football goes. Yeah, I was also going to mention I think one of the big things there, even though I don't think he's particularly good, it's just that he's better than the guys below in the depth chart. When Anthony Brown went down, that's when Watson really tore apart the team. I mean, Trayvon Diggs held his way. Um, um, they, I don't even think they may, they might have gone after him once the, the whole game. But you watched Bland, Joseph, and they were getting just torched by Watson. I think on the big play by Lazard there, I think they finally switched Diggs on and whoever the other guy's taking, which I think that was Lazard on my member, they just get him. And that's the other thing I wonder. You know, everyone talks about a run defense, but I don't think enough people discuss that outside of Trayvon Diggs, our corner room is quite terrible. Um, Joseph has just been really disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that all you have to say for the secondary? Yeah, Se- yeah if, you wanna, if you wanna share any comments, feel free. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, and that was like my big kind of handicap on the Cowboys defense coming into the year was I, I was really concerned about their interior defensive line, which I'm not saying has kind of been the, the main struggle of their run defense because teams um, typically run more outside zone than inside zone against the Cowboys defense. But I was also pretty concerned about this Cowboys secondary where I, I and obviously a lot of people, like a lot of people thought Trayvon Diggs was going to have a little bit of a regression but regression year but he's kind of had a pretty good year in in himself but yeah anthony brown going out kind of inserts a weak link into this cowboy secondary and like i think that's something that teams have kind of taken advantage of but to me it kind of all goes back to the run defense and it's kind of like i think the cowboys were so successful early in the year because from weeks one through seven uh they rank like top eight in in epa per rush allowed which allowed them to put the offense in expected pass situations where you have guys like Parsons, Lawrence, Dante Fowler, um, uh, Dorrance Armstrong, and they can just go to work, right? Quinn can kind of call any stunt he wants, any defense he wants, because he knows that the offense is going to pass. But when you allow these kind of like chunk gains on the ground, like you saw the Packers do, or you saw the Bears do, or the Lions do, where the running backs are averaging over 4.5, five yards a carry, I think that puts the some constraints on what Dan Quinn can call as a defensive coordinator because you can't really call a stunt on like third and three or third and two because you have to worry about play action. You have to worry about a, like a, a potential run where I'm not sure what the numbers are, but if you stunt on a run, that probably puts your defense alignment out of position and, and leads to chunk gains. So I think to me, like I am a little bit concerned about the secondary, but the big, the big worry to me, and it kind of comes back from this, what I was talking about over the summer is I don't know – I, I'm a little bit concerned about this run defense, given you know the interior defensive line and kind of like how light the edges are outside of Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah, and even with Demarcus Lawrence, just going off my memory, like he's still very good at it, but he, he hasn't been as good because I remember before this year, the last two or three, he's been like the top graded run defending edge rusher. I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I kind of see it like similar to like what my Chargers have to go through, where 
offenses is kind of like uh, this could be completely wrong but i feel like offenses run away from demarcus lawrence similar to like how offenses run away from cleo mack which is like the smart thing to do because like michael parsons probably lines up at linebacker on like early downs or at least first down and then moves to edge rusher so you're probably playing someone like dante fowler who's a little bit lighter more of a quicker guy um on, at edge and that's where you can like really exploit the cowboys run defense um, is that is that something you've seen as well, or am I kind of just talking? Yeah, it, I mean, it's a, yeah, I've seen I've seen a bit of everything. It just feels like no matter where they run, as long as it feels like as long as it is away from like uh, Lawrence and Parsons, it does feel like they do they do exploit it fairly well. And like you said, it is something noticeably different early in the year. Like early in the year, you've seen guys like an Armstrong or a Fowler. I don't know if it reflects with the grading, but just like. On you know sometimes on the splash play you'll see those guys make some plays against the run but you're seeing less and less of that now it's like um, it's kind of like OCs it feels like they adapt and it kind of makes sense like with the run uh, Lafleur kind of taking a page from a game plan that his his old quarterback coach uh, Getsy took in kind of taking to the team um, with the run and you wonder maybe finally we get away from that coaching tree things will look a bit better because that is where the two worst performances are but um it feels like no matter where they go um that's what they're able to take um and i guess now kind of moving to another question about a game kind of just where you think that game falls um because these are two teams that i mean their seasons are very disappointing and you know they're they are taking that injury bug like crazy and i kind of want to see where i lean if i were you know maybe if I were to like take picks on the game, I do, even if it's not just bets like pick and pools or whatnot. And that's like the Saints Rams game. What you kind yeah, of think of that? <laughs> yeah. So, first of all, like, I, Matthew Stafford is going to play in this game. I don't think he should be playing when you get a concussion and your season is already over. You know, it's probably not a, a smart thing for, to the, for the coaching staff to send him out there, but, you know, they're. They're doing that, you know, anyways. And, like, I, I, I do think the Rams have the advantage in this game because when you look at, you know, kind of like where the Rams have really struggled this year, it's been in high expected pass situations. And so when, when you know, your probability of passing, like, according to NFL Fast Stars model, is greater than 70%, like, the Rams have been the second worst uh, team this year passing the ball in those situations. But the good news for them is the Saints force the rate of expected pass situations at the second least uh, amount in the league. So, like, the Rams have really been feasted on this year on offense by teams like the 49ers who force a lot of expected pass situations or the Dallas game where, you know, they are forcing a lot of expected pass situations. And defenses could really take advantage of, you know, an offensive line that is all backups or third stringers. But in this game, I think the Rams' offense still won't perform well but at least they're getting back to a level where they can kind of run some of the stuff that they want to run because the Saints defense won't be able to tee up on them so much. Uh, on the other side of things, you know, Andy Dalton against zone coverage this year has been the fourth worst quarterback in the NFL. He's, he's done really well against man, but he's really struggled against zone coverage this year, negative 0.07 EPA per pass. And the Rams play zone coverage on about 90% of the passing plays. So if you want to look for, for a matchup advantage there, you know, if you're if you're a props better, 
um, you know, Andy Dalton, like under passing yards or passing touchdowns, I think could be, you know, a, a play to, a play there just because he's going to see so much zone coverage in this game. And he's really struggled against zone the entire season. Yeah. Uh, I feel like one of the inferences here is go with the under on the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially with a cup out, um, which is unfortunate. I had, I had a really good fantasy team going and uh, it had Cooper Cup and Dallas Goddard on it. Oh yeah. That, that's brutal, man. That's like two big injuries in one week. I think like yeah. I also think that game is has a lot of like it's it's obviously between two bad teams, but I think the matchup advantages could be interesting. Like with Cup out, you would think that the Rams kind of turn to Allen Robinson or or Tyler Higby, but then you know the Saints, in my opinion, have one of the best linebacking duos in the NFL with Demario Davis, criminally underrated every single year with the coolest. Uh, me and Tage agree the coolest <laughs> uh, accessory arm sleeve, and then yeah. Pete Warner who. Pete Werner is kind of like, I feel like the run defender of the two. And then Damari Davis is more of the coverage guy, kind of similar to yeah. like the Tampa Bay duo. But yeah, I mean, this, the Rams without Cup just don't match up well in this game. I mean, I, I don't really know the status of Marshawn Lattimore, but if he's playing, that you can kind of just cross up Alvin, Allen Robinson, which I feel like you can do that anyway. But uh, <laughs> even with, with Lattimore, I mean, he's going to be a pretty much a non-factor. So it then comes down to like how much you trust Van Jefferson and Ben Skoranek because you know Cam Akers is going to average less than two yards per less than two yards per carry against this really stout uh, Saints run defense even without Cameron Jordan. So I yeah. I am I'm pretty concerned for both offenses in this matchup just because they don't really match up well with with the opposing defense. Fair enough. Cam Akers is one of the reasons why my fantasy team is only six and four with some of the talent that's on there. Uh, <laughs> But uh, Kenneth Walker kind of bailed me out. From there, there. You um, there you go. Speaking of that, I guess I'll ask you one last, which is like who I should start here out of my receiver group. Um, before I head out, um, going to get packed in there for Thanksgiving break. Um, so I got Amari Cooper, Paris Campbell, Josh Palmer, George Pickens, and just even though I don't think you probably will recommend it, uh, Ben Sco, I can't pronounce his name. You know the guy on the Rams. Who are the, who are the three that should start? I think Cooper has to start for sure. Um, I, I yeah, I think if you were to to not like bench anyone out of the group, it'd be him. Oh. Wait, wait, sorry, could you read off the other names other than him? Um, Paris Campbell, Josh Palmer, George Pickens, and I think. Ben's, uh, you know, the guy in the Rams <laughs> that I can't yeah. pronounce his last name. Yeah, I like I like Cooper, um, and I like Pickens, and then Arjun, do you feel comfortable starting Josh Palmer? Um, I I can I would say with like ninety percent certainty that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are both going to play against the Chiefs. Um, I would I would personally go with Paris Campbell because I think the Eagles' defenses look kind of weak in the past couple uh, the past couple games and. I mean, you kind of want to target the slot receiver uh, against the Eagles with Avante Maddox kind of being the weakest of D- the Darius Slay, Bradbury, Maddox trio. So I'd probably go with Campbell as the third guy over Josh Palmer, who's probably going to be like the fifth or sixth receiving option on Sunday night. All right. Hope, hopefully Pickens does me well. I made the mistake of trading Traylon Burks for him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on, my man. Um, yeah, I hope thank you have you. a great rest of your night.
You have a, you have a lovely evening. See ya. Yep. All right, Tage. Doesn't seem like we have uh, anyone requested to speak, so I guess we can just you know talk about some other games. Uh, I do want to talk about you know your Lions versus the Giants. I'm gonna let you kick off this kind of like game preview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know this is gonna be a game where we kind of see like the teams lean into their strengths. So like on the Giants side of things the Giants rushing attack you know I think is is like really really good obviously you know Saquon Barkley has the fifth highest explosive run rate in the NFL um and and then Daniel Jones has like a positive rushing yards over expected on his design rushes and then the third most rushing yards on scrambles this year behind Justin Fields and Josh Allen the Lions have given up the most EPA to opposing quarterbacks on scrambles so I think this is a game where we're not going to see Daniel Jones pass that often it's going to be a lot of Daniel Jones designed runs and scrambles, as well as trying to get Saquon Barkley into you know uh, areas where he can generate explosive runs. Because there's a trade-off with Saquon Barkley, right? Like he has a lot of these explosive runs, but he also has a lot of runs where he tries to do too much and ends up losing a lot more yards than what was blocked for him. So like, what I want to like kind of bring up is like Kenneth Walker kind of has the same thing, just to an extreme level, where he has even more explosive runs and even more bad runs in the other direction. Is that trade-off worth it from a running back's perspective, or would you rather kind of have someone that usually gets what's expected from them on on most rushes? Um, I would I would personally take the the Barkley Walker tier. I think explosive plays are are so important and so hard to come by. You can you kind of want to take them whenever you can, um, especially on the ground where like most teams are averaging a negative EPA per rush. Um, and have a success rate lower than their dropback success rate. Like just in general, running the ball is not going to be that successful. Um, you know, this year is obviously kind of pro- proving otherwise a little bit. But I would rather take the running back that can kind of bust a thirty or forty yard run or take take one to the house than someone who's maybe giving us consistently like four or five yards a carry, but isn't really like that kind of like explosive back. Um, I mean, I I think like just explosiveness in general should be so coveted by teams and. I mean, you kind of talked about how that's important in, like, kind of projecting college to pro for running backs. Yeah, no, that, that's what I think, too. I think it is more important to have the, the explosive running back there because if they lose, if, they, yeah, if they're getting, like, four yards when they should be getting six, you know, it takes a lot, of, a lot of those rushes to add up to really ruin them. But, like, if they can break off those 20, 30-yard rushes, I think that can really help them. And Saquon will be able to do that in this game against the Lions defense. <laughs> um on the other side of things, like, I think the Lions passing attack has, like, been good this year. Like, they're ranked 12th in EPA per drop back. Like, Goff, like, is playing, you know, pretty well in structure. But, like, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is, like, really, like, the driver of this passing attack. There's really good pass blocking. The only issue in this game is Goff has struggled against man coverage this year due to kind of, like, his, his like, decision-making ability, but also, like, every receiver except St. Brown, like, not being able to to get off wins with with Shark injured and Hawkinson no longer on the team. Giants play the most man coverage in the league. They're gonna they're gonna blitz a lot. So like I still think the Lions passing offense will do well. I just don't know if it'll reach kind of the height maybe that it reached like last week or when they were rolling early in the season. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the I, for, first of all, I think this would be a perfect debut game for Jamison Williams. You talk about a team that loves to play man, like press coverage, because they're gonna blitz. I mean, you, Williams makes one move at the line of scrimmage and he's gone, right? I don't obviously don't know if Goff is this type of quarterback to get the ball to him, him in the deep part of the field. But I think it should be a great game for Jamison Williams for the Lions. But but yeah, like I think 
we kind of talk about how golf is kind of part of that like Herculean tier who kind of like gets skittish under pressure or when blitz like I think that's kind of going to be the deciding factor in this game like how well golf is able to handle the blitz because I mean Wink Martindale doesn't change the scheme for anyone like he he's like one of the most unique play callers in terms of like how unique he doesn't change or just because he doesn't change his game plan week over week mm-hmm. um one of the highest splits rates regardless of who he plays like I'm sure if he even goes against Mahomes who or like the Dolphins uh the, the cardinal sin is you don't blitz against Tyreek or Mahomes he will still do that so I think we kind of should expect to like know what Wink Martindale and um the Giants are going to do heading into this game but I don't know the Lions have kind of surprised me in, in weeks past and now they're you know on a two-game win streak I think it's it's probably safe to ride the high and, and you know restore it uh going into this game <laughs> yeah no that's that's true and I think like yeah, when when you're like Wig Martindale and like you kind of do the same thing every game, Ben Johnson's one of the best offensive coordinators in the league that no one talks about. And like I think that's where you could see the Lions' path to victory this game is Ben Johnson's going to have a good plan for how he's going to um, do like like attack attack this this Giants defense here. And I I think that there could be a lot of like crossing routes trying to take advantage of you know kind of what the the Giants want to do, and then you have your your play action shots that Goff has been been good on this this entire season. Um, you know, uh, kind of like a key to the Lions is like working DeAndre Swift back from his injury, and like he hasn't um he hasn't like done as well you know as he was doing at the beginning of the season. But like if he gets involved in this game also, and you can take advantage of the Giants linebackers, I think like Ben Johnson's gonna kind of throw the book out in this game because if the Lions do, you know, are on this three-game win streak going into Thanksgiving against the Bills, Ford Field will be really loud. Like, you know, most <laughs> people won't expect Lions to win that game, but it'll be like a fun time, I feel like, to be there. I mean, it always is on Thanksgiving, but off a three-game three, three game win streak especially. Yeah, totally agree. And I think we can, you know, move on to another game, but, um, you know, I, I one prop I do love in this game, the Daniel Jones rushing over 34 yeah. and a half. Um, this is one I wrote up and I've already bet. So the Lions defense is allowing 7.7 yards per carry on zone reads or QB keepers. And Justin Fields had 47 yards, rushing yards on the first drive last week. So, <laughs> I mean, like like you said, I don't know how much the Giants are going to pass in this game if they go down early because the Lions scripted plays are pretty solid. Then maybe then, you know, Jones will have to drop back more than he uh, they're running the ball. But I fully expect the Giants to kind of put their guys in good situations, which is something they've done all year. And um, I'm kind of excited to see how this game plays out for both sides. Um, but yeah, we can move on to, you know, one of the more exciting games, uh, Chiefs and Chargers. Um, I guess I can kind of kick this off. Like, I don't know, Tej, I'm, I'm kind of feeling like a little bit optimistic <laughs> of about the Chargers. Like, I know last week I was I was pretty pessimistic about how they would handle the the 49ers offense but I like the Chargers are getting Keenan and Mike Williams back while the Chiefs lose Juju and Hardman and one of the things that you know the Chiefs have done so well this year is just kind of build out that receiver depth and thankfully they traded for Kadarius uh, at least thank, thankfully for them they traded for Kadarius Tony right before the slew of receiver injuries um but you know, the Chargers did a pretty good job on Thursday Night Football in Week 2, kind of, like, slowing down Mahomes. Um, the, the place where they struggled was just, like, 
first of all, converting pressure to pressures into sacks, which is incredibly difficult on Mahomes himself. But also, like, they didn't take advantage of these gimme interceptions that Mahomes gave them. Like, Asante Samuel dropped or had three interceptions that were ruled an interception, but were overturned because of flags or or he just dropped them. So I think, like, if the Chargers kind of, like, shore up those mistakes, they'll be at home a little. Well, I say they'll be at home, but it's probably going to be more red than blue there. Um <sighs> I don't know. I'm kind of feeling a little bit optimistic about the Chargers defense heading into this game just because I think Staley has like put together a couple good game plans and he he kind of surprised me uh, last week against the 49ers. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. And I, I wanted to bring in our, our friend Sean Syed here, um, you know, the defensive team expert. Guru. To kind of talk about, yeah, what, what, uh, what we think Brandon Staley could kind of do from this game. Sean, how are you doing? Tish, uh, so glad to join this. Uh, always so happy for you guys. I'm glad I bumped in just when I could hear Arjun get his optimism up for the Chargers. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad, Arjun, that you mentioned. I do think they did a, a pretty good job on that early Thursday night. You know, that one busted coverage uh, where I think that middle of the field safety kind of vacated a little bit for that touchdown. I think, like, Staley, I think it was last week, right? He said, oh, like, I put together my best defensive game plan. Yeah. I think he's in his bag right now. Like his their pressure package stuff has been pretty fun, and they're obviously dealing with a lot of injuries. But I mean, at this point, they got to be able to win, right? Like this has got to be the week that you know we finally get a good DM from Arjun where he's happy about it. Given that I mean, obviously the Chiefs' receiving threats are just so down, right? So if Staley can really mix it up and feel comfortable, kind of locking people in one on one, and then just kind of manipulate protection as much as possible. You know, I mean, I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be room for the Chargers just so we can get a good one for our guy, Arjun. <laughs> yeah, Sean, you know, one of the things we kind of talked about early in the season was um, kind of like the way I thought to slow down Mahomes was to play man, but he's he's been using his legs like every single game this year, it feels like. I think it has, uh, he's gone over 20 rushing yards in like every single game for the past seven games. Like, Obviously, you can't stop Mahomes. Very few teams can do that. I guess the Titans were one of the few. But what do you think is like the optimal way to like slow down Mahomes from like a, a scheme per- perspective, whether it's like pre-snap or post-snap or or blitz packages? Like, is there anything you've seen that you think the Chargers can exploit in their matchup versus the Chiefs? Yeah, obviously, the best way to stop Patrick Mahomes is to play another team, right? I, I mean, I've been <laughs> covering the Vikings. Have to deal with Josh Allen last week. It's such a problem. But when you think, right, if you're, say, let's assume man coverage first, right? If you're in two high safeties and one safety is coming down, maybe you can have that safety be a spy in some sort of way. That does obviously take a guy out of coverage. But I think you see it a lot more in college where you can manipulate the protection in a certain way to push the quarterback into a certain direction. So, like, one example, I know, like, Georgia runs and the save tree, they call it odd mirror. So, and obviously odd part, right? Just think of one guy in the center, guy near the tackle, guy near the tackle tackles crash in and you're really forcing the quarterback a certain way the problem is like even when you force Mahomes a certain way he's still going to make someone miss and really make a play then you get into okay well are we going to have uh like vision zones to make sure that we can have eyes on him but I don't know like do you really want to zone up with like Kelsey who maybe he's not obviously the same as he's been a few years ago but I would just say that like you're going to get beat in some sort of way so at least fight back and force a certain thing right if you found that hey we need to make Mahomes go out to his left then crash the heck out of their right side and have your linebacker kind of loop over the top and I'm really excited to see what Staley kind of pulls out you know again and that I think it was an interception where the guy just dropped it where they had kind of a cornerback that was 
like to a cover two side kind of drifting back. So maybe it's just, you know, maybe they, they can kind of snake one off him. But yeah, I would I would see, especially with more stuff, and you know how much I love a Drew Tranquil, no matter what happens to him. Uh, maybe it's something where, yeah, you just have like D-Lyman kind of crashing in, force him one way where we can meet him with a linebacker, but you know, I can draw it up on a chalkboard. Like, you're, you're not just going to stop him. I know that's like the scary thing about Mahomes this year is he. we usually see that he like waits to use his legs and like scrambles until the playoffs because like that's like when you'd want to run and like put your, yourself out there like this year since i think like they're seeing you know a lot more man coverage and the defensive backs are turned more often he's just taking off and running you know like that whole titans game on sunday night was he was the whole rushing offense for his team as well as the whole passing offense obviously too but like that's like i think what's making it even more difficult is you already have the best passer in the nfl that you're going against and when he turns on his legs, he can he can rush and, and pick up first downs, um, you know, especially on third down when you want to get into man coverage and, you know, try to take advantage of the Chiefs not having, like, a true number one receiver, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with and especially with, you know, Juju getting injured and everything there, too. Yeah, I think, and also, like, going on the flip side of things, I think Justin Herbert's like getting slowly more healthy. I don't think he's he's going to be like 100% healthy for the rest of the year, but he was he was looking like that 2020-2021 self against the 49ers in the first half. Against the Falcons, he made some throws where I'm like if he was injured, he wouldn't be able to make that. And I think if he gets Keenan and Mike back, he will pretty much have his full plethora of weapons minus Donald Parham at his disposal. So, I mean, we've <laughs> as a fan base, the Chargers have kind of made all the excuses necessary to kind of i wouldn't say excuses i I would call them reasons for why herbert's play is down but going against the chief secondary which isn't like that impressive i think we we hopefully should see like a a big game from the chargers offense sean do you do you agree with that or do you think the there's some kinks that the chargers still need to work out on offense uh, I mean, it, a lot of it obviously comes down to how much are we going to call a stick. Uh, I want to, <laughs> like, just as an example, right, how important I think throwing past the sticks is. I don't have, obviously, exact numbers, but in the game yesterday, Titans-Packers, like, one of the early balls where it's it's thrown, like, 20 yards down the field, right? And because defensive coverage is on third down, they want to protect the sticks in a lot of ways, right? So if you have a quarterback, who Justin Herbert is, and are comfortable getting receivers past the sticks, I would certainly hope to see that. And, you know, it, it feels like, right, the Chargers maybe just in their own way. But, you know, as I'm, I'm a little brother to two brothers, and it feels like the Chargers are kind of the Chiefs' little brother. But little brother wins every once in a while. So, man, I'm optimistic for, for your Chargers for sure. I, I do think, like, I, I, I like to put a lot of the blame on Joe Lombardi as a play caller. But I do think, like, some of the blame has started to shift to Herbert for me as well. Because, like, in, in the game against the 49ers, there when they lined up in, in four receiver sets like there were three routes that would go past the sticks and like they were pretty tightly covered because like the receivers um you know they were using were, were back and quarters but like we saw herbert make like really tight window throws in the first quarter of that game when he was being aggressive on third down but the whole second half was just him resorting to going through his first couple of reads and then hitting his check down that you know has a very low conversion rate so i would like to see him kind of throw past the sticks more often like you mentioned in this game and, you know, really, really take advantage of, do you see, when you play the Chiefs, you're going to have to be, like, really aggressive. If you end up throwing an interception because you tried to fit a tight window throw, I think that's okay in the grand scheme of things. 
but like you got to push the ball downfield to, to keep up in this game because you know the guy on the other side is going to be doing the same thing I think that's a really good point, and I love that I feel like every Sunday you guys post something where a team who is not favored should do the more volatile thing, right? If you're yeah. a seven-point underdog, maybe go for it on fourth and two, right? And that's that's a really good example that, you know, just bringing back to the on my Vikings, like when Kirk Cousins is throwing the 50-50 balls, sure, that is a, vo- a vo- more volatile thing in those tight windows, and it's probably not something that you can just depend on. But, hey, man, like you got to go maybe like nine for 14 on third down for one game, like, take your certain shots so i like the idea of you know leaning into that volatility when you're the underdog yeah no i completely agree and that that was like the one thing that i was like so i I just didn't understand what brandon Sealy was doing in the first game like he punted it or kicked it on like three or four third and twos um against the chiefs in kansas city like you're already well they were four and a half point underdogs like they were they should have been you know calling every fourth down pass or run um in that game and I, I don't think they did that i think like in this game especially if you have keenan and mike back the chargers cannot and i repeat cannot try to establish the run or something in this game like in this game if keenan and mike are playing the chargers should be throwing the ball often and early in their first matchup against the chiefs um they actually like had a decent early down split 37 passes just 16 rushes but i mean they they had like nine or ten third and fourth and twos and again with an offense as good as the Chargers when they're fully healthy, like, yeah, you want to, like, increase variance as an underdog, but in when you're a good offense, you want to be ahead of the six more often, and you don't want to be putting Justin Herbert in these third and fourth and two situations because every defense knows what the Chargers are running in those third and fourth and two situations, right? Like, that's why Herbert leads the league in batted passes, even though he's six freaking six, that everyone knows that on these short yardage situations, they're going to call a three-step drop back with you know every route is either a slant or a hitch or just a quick out route where a, a, a receiver sits in the soft, soft part of the zone so you know again it kind of all comes down to whether or not keenan and mike are going to play but i would expect and hope the chargers to have like a high pass rate over expected in this game and to kind of just let herbert sling the ball because he's looked healthy and the offensive line should be pretty healthy against a not that great chiefs pass rush also thinking of that fact, their first matchup, right? We're hoping that we don't see, you know, like that weird pick six. That's kind of just like a yeah. not a fluke play, of course, but we're hoping that doesn't happen, right? We're hoping we don't see like a Herbert injury. I think he's looked a little healthier, especially last week, kind of than the weeks before. So, hey, man, th- this this is the time, Arch, and this is definitely the time. Yeah. Okay, Sean, uh, really appreciate you um, coming on. Uh, speaking with us we'll we'll obviously touch base at some point on sunday uh rooting for your vikings um this sunday against the cowboys but um tate i think you know we've kind of covered all the games we've we've wanted to so um why don't we transition into some betting advice um again we uh had a reverse sweep oh and four last week but it's okay we're gonna bounce back this week um we also have our friend josiah clark goes by at shark clark on twitter uh, Josiah, if you want to unmute yourself, say hi to the, to the group. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Josiah, you you got a pretty good week yourself last week. Um, obviously, we, we wanted to bring you on for this segment because we, we obviously love your analysis and, and your betting advice. Is there any picks that you want to give out or want to talk about as a, as a you know, in this chat? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I am all over the Cowboys this week, and 
And I know mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those games where, like, you know, I think there's going to be a heavy action on, on both sides of the, of the you know, the, of the counter. Um, the Vikings are obviously not as good as their record, but, but the market knows that, and every serious better knows that. But the thing is, even accounting for that, there are matchup advantages that favor the Cowboys on both sides. Like, like we've talked about how, how passive the Vikings' defense is. They play so much zone, and they're just going to sit yeah. back there and what the Cowboys want to do is like run up the middle for these small small gains and you know churn out first downs and throw to tight ends and throw to the slot. Like they don't need to be that aggressive to be successful. So I think I think the Cowboys are going to do basically whatever they want on offense. And then defensively, you know, Kirk Cousins struggles against men and struggles with pressure, and they want to pass the ball. And the Cowboys have a better pass defense. I just think it's like one way. Every every angle I looked at for this game made me want to bet the at the Cowboys and then seeing this the line stand to three is just it's juicy yeah I completely agree I know Tage gave Cowboys out on forecast right yep yeah I gave I gave Cowboys out on on the forecast yeah everything you mentioned I think is is kind of you know where it's at and like yeah like the Vikings like they rank 12th on offense in EPA per play 13th on defense uh Cowboys we know have a top five rushing attack um, they probably should rank top ten in offense uh, with with like Dak, I, I would think, and they have the fourth best defense in the NFL. So when you can get to the quarterback, you know, and pressure the the quarterback as much as they do, I think that means a lot more when you're going up against Kirk Cousins than it maybe does against other quarterbacks. And like, you know, I I just like kind of like having like Dak. I think has a slight advantage over Kirk Cousins in this game. I agree with you. I think like a lot of the signs point to. Dallas winning this game I think maybe you know people who want to look at just like the straight up record instead of maybe like the underlying metrics will like the Vikings in this game um, because of their age and one record but yeah Dallas I do think is the better team uh, going into this game and, and that's like what I think is so interesting about it yeah but when I'm when I'm trying to project out whether or not a team will outperform expectation because that's what you're betting on right like it's easy to say this team does this well this team does this poorly but you know, the spread already accounts for that. What you're looking for is why are the Cowboys going to be a better version of themselves and why are the Vikings going to be a worse version of themselves? And the, the answer is, you know, how, how the matchups play out is like if the Vikings are going to take advantage of the Cowboys' weakness on defense, they're going to want to run the ball. But we know that running the ball is not the Vikings' identity this year. And so they're going to have to become something that they're not at their best in order to capitalize against the defensive weakness, which basically means they're likely, whether they shift to the run or whether they try to pass, they're likely to be a lower version of themselves in this game. And so I think that's what we're going to see is is not the best version of the Vikings and the best version of the Cowboys, which is a great combination. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I'm with you guys. And I'm definitely, that's one I've, I already you know, have. And I was on, I liked the Vikings earlier in the week, but then I, I kind of shifted my focus towards the Cowboys after like looking at it from both angles. So definitely on that play with you guys. Um, Josiah, I also want to ask, because you wrote an article for 4 for 4 uh, about the Bears, and I actually really like them this week against the Falcons. Um, you know, I think A.J. Terrell is questionable, I believe, and he, like, obviously changes a lot of things for the Falcons' defense, but this Falcons team looked pretty bad against the Panthers. Obviously, it was in the rain, but, like, I, I just, I think Justin Fields has kind of taken his game to another level and, he, and especially, like, the coaching staff, I think, has put him in situations to succeed with a lot more QB-designed runs. Is there anything in this game, you know, Bears plus three, 
that you're looking at and is is this a game you've bet on or or feel comfortable talking about or is this kind of like a stay away game just because of like you know the bears kind of like volatility on both sides of the ball yeah it's a great question it it should be a fun game i i liked the bears early in the week uh you you could get it plus three and a half earlier in the week um and then I, i started to get a little bit skeptical because what justin fields has done the last four weeks is really impressive but he's also done it against four of the most man-heavy defenses in the league. Yeah. And Falcons are one of the most zone-heavy defenses in the league. And, you know, you think about when, when defenses are playing zone, the defenders are typically facing the quarterback. So those quarterback scrambles are easier to kind of sniff out and stop because the, the whole defense is looking. Whereas in man defense, a lot of defenders have their back to the quarterback. And so by the time Justin Fields is out of the pocket, it's too late. So there's a chance that the Falcons match up well against what what Fields has been doing the last four weeks. And so we see a slightly less exciting version of the Bears offense. But I think the Bears are just, um, you know, as good or better than the Falcons. And so um, I think those those two things kind of even out for me. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, I mean, the Justin Fields renaissance has been great, especially for me and Sage, who were kind of higher on him than I think the public was after his rookie year, just because we had a little bit of pre-draft priors. And you had one of the best threads I read about Justin Fields and why there should be some optimism about them going forward. Um, Josiah, you know, really appreciate you coming on for this segment. So I guess, Tage, we can give out um, Bears plus three. Uh, we all kind of align on Cowboys money line minus one. And then I guess the Daniel Jones rushing over. And I will make the Cowboys uh, the bet of the week, if that sounds good with you. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And yeah, I, I appreciate like everyone, everyone coming and participating here. This was this was so much fun to uh, football with you guys on on this Friday evening, where a lot of us on the East Coast are freezing right now, and we can kind of stay inside and, uh, <laughs> and kind of avoid the cold weather right now. But yeah, no, it, it was really good to to do this, um, and and it was it was a lot of fun. And you know, Eric, um, Josiah, uh, Hussam, uh, Sean, like everyone who who spoke today, like we we appreciate you guys joining. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, all right, guys, that will be it for this. Uh, episode of Take the Points and uh, stay on the lookout for future episodes going forward and potentially doing this again at some point in the future. But um, thank you everyone for listening and we'll wrap it up now.